Hi everyone. This is Holly. <laughs> <laughs> and this is Daniel. I was really trying to hold that laugh in and I couldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is Halfway Saints. Episode 17. 17. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Welcome. <laughs> Round of applause for everyone. <laughs> uh, I'm used to clapping with Jack. Yeah. He's just learned how to clap. He, he's, got, he's just gotten good at it. For a while. For, <laughs> for a while there, he would just take one hand and hit it on his head, which kind of <laughs> makes a clapping noise, so you have to give it to him. But no, He was like kind of close. He would like put his hands toward each other and then miss, and then all of a sudden, like that same day... He che- he like reverted back and started hitting himself on the head. He's probably instead. like embarrassed and was like, oh, like smacking himself oh, in the head. Maybe. Probably not. But he was like so close to getting it, and then he went the other direction. Yeah, but he's good now. He's back on the. <laughs> he's the back on track. track. Jack on track. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we're back at our normal recording time. Yes, we're sorry that we were late last week. I know. We know. Hopefully, they've cleaned up after the riots. They've <laughs> cleaned up all the broken glass and overturned cars. But we're back. Recording mm-hmm. Sunday night on the feast of Corpus Christi. Mm-hmm. Holly, did you? <laughs> oh, what? What's, what's coming? Did you? I have some um, Corpus Christi facts. Trivia. I'm gonna drop, drop some knowledge on you. So get out your your umbrella. Holly and I, oh we both, despite both having grown up in the South, neither of us have very thick accents. But every once in a while, words come out. And today, I forget what we were talking about, but Holly started talking about an umbrella. I was talking about a baby hat that's like an umbrella. (laughs) Umbrella. Umbrella. Or in Spanish, umbrea. (laughs) I have the emphasis on the um. (laughs) I got the emphasis on the um. It's that. They have medication for that. (laughs) (laughs) But um, anyway, the Feast of Corpus Christi was founded... um, I think it used to be towards, it was like in the middle of ordinary time, because he would like come off of Easter. Anyway, it was founded in response to there being kind of like a a big distance between Easter and Christmas, or Pentecost and Advent. So there mm-hmm. was a, like a big feast in the center. And in the Middle Ages, they would do Corpus Christi processions, which mm-hmm. we do now in a lot of churches. They'll yeah. do um, processions with the Blessed Sacrament. But in the Middle Ages, they were really elaborate, and there would be basically floats like kind of like parade floats in the procession that would act out certain scenes um from the gospels oh and they were like sponsored by local guilds so like the local carpentry guild would do the crucifixion (laughs) yeah and it um that's kind of where theater developed out of was like these things became more and more elaborate these um passion plays they were called during corpus christi processions really that's kind of um how drama, medieval drama, kind of got started. That is so interesting. It is. I took a whole class on medieval drama. I know. We have a book somewhere in our house. We have of a, it. a thick book it's on medieval. It's a very big book. Medieval drama. Yeah. It's very interesting. See? You're I worried. something today. <laughs> Good. My work here is done. Mm-hmm. What was uh, I worried about? I don't know. Oh, oh that was going to be uh, too nerdy. Yes, you were right. I was nervous <laughs> about that. No. But unless I've messed up the facts those are those are them i i sure hope those are them <laughs> hope no. you're not wrong i hope i'm not either 
Well, here we go. <laughs> Why are you so concerned? Because I told you a cool fact and it might not be true. It's yeah, probably and, true. And we're recording, so we could be telling people false information. Well, okay. Verify that at your own will. But to the best of my recollection, that is, those are some facts about Corpus Christi. I trust you. I, I'm pretty you. sure it's, Thank you. it's true. But yeah. So we're. That's very interesting. Yeah. We're back into. Well, we've been in ordinary time, but now we're like getting into the, the Sundays of ordinary time. Because we had mm. Pentecost, and then we had Trinity Sunday. Now we have Corpus Christi. I kind of wish that it was more in the middle between Easter and yeah. Christmas again, because that's it's kind of like yeah. too close to all these other ones yeah. where I can't so really focus that on may, it. In the old calendar, it may have been further out from mm-hmm. Easter. but That's okay. Yeah. I trust the church. I get why mm, she put no. her there. Her. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, uh, but yeah, but we're back. On I'm schedule. Out of space. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, we are on schedule. Mm-hmm. We had a back to like a normal week after being on vacation. Yeah, you had a short week at work, though. I, I did. had to work three days. It yeah, was awesome. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. I guess I did too. I'm my own boss. <laughs> <laughs> she just goes around singing that song. She doesn't do any work. I'm my own boss. But no. this week, you did get to do something cool. I did. Um, this Thursday, I got to go with a lot of other young adults in the Philadelphia area to an event um, where we could just uh, chat with Chapu, is what it was called. And we got to um, ask any question we wanted to the Archbishop of Philadelphia, who mm-hmm. is Archbishop Chapu. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really great. We. Um, Got to cover a lot of ground from his favorite drink, which is Dr. Pepper and Fanta Orange, um, to issues in the church, um, talking about how to deal with certain like difficult situations, like just practical information. But um, there are a couple of things that stood out to me, but one of the things uh, practically for us and for our generation he was talking about the future of the church and um someone asked like what can we do to help the future of the church or something since we were all young adults at the um at the event you know um and his response was that the future of the church is going to look a lot different than what it looks like right now because the majority of the church especially in philadelphia but also in the country um the majority of the church are older people and they are actually, uh, you know, dying out <laughs> <laughs> to put it bluntly. Don't tell them that. But, <laughs> but so there's a lot of, um, you know, like whatever, I don't know. I'm getting lost here. What? I don't know why, but there are older people. The church will look different in the future. Right. Because, uh, what it looks like right now is very, uh, very much based on the older generation who right. is very active, and so it's going to change a lot whenever those do those people do die out, and this younger generation comes more into the forefront of the like culture of the church. And Archbishop Chapu was speaking um, particularly of the Church of America and in Philadelphia, especially. But I think some of these trends are. Um, prevalent at least in the West, if not sort of mm-hmm. global. Well, I won't say globally because I don't really know, but like, th- I'm sure that resonates with a lot of people. Right. But one of the things that he mentioned that I had never really thought about before was that, um, like, the material 
world of the church, it's going to look a lot different whenever millennials come into more prevalent positions and uh, are the majority of Catholics because uh, we have a lot of debt. I don't know if you guys know this, but millennials have a lot of debt and are very cheap and can't really afford a lot of things. And so he was saying that um, people and millennials today are just not tithing as much and they are not going to be able to um, like afford to give as much to the church as the generations before it because we have more student debt than ever before. We're buying houses that we can't afford and um, we just aren't committed to parish tithing. Mm -hmm. And so that's just going to make resources from the church look a lot different. And we, we also, as millennials, are pushing for a digital world when the church cannot be a digital world. The church is face-to-face -face relationships, and we have to get back to focusing on that. And so just like him talking so bluntly and so like truthfully to that topic really hit home to me, and I uh, thought there was a lot to that. Yeah, and the archbishop actually um, spoke, I think it was at the like pontifical council of the clergy, some kind of pontifical commission, commission on the clergy. Sure. Um, or maybe it was one of the congregations. Anyway, he spoke, and um, his remarks were published on um, the Archdiocese of Philadelphia's news website, Catholic Philly. Um, but he spoke about what the church, what renewal in the church really looks like. Um, and he, basically he says that the, the church of the future of kind of, when millennials kind of come into their own will be smaller, poorer, less influential and less free to do the work that it's charged to do. Mm -hmm. So it's not going to, um, be as huge. Um, especially, and if you're not from Philadelphia where there's a lot of Catholic infrastructure here, yes. like a lot of, a lot of parishes, a lot of schools, Catholic schools are huge. There's, you know, like Catholic school sports leagues within themselves. That's how mm -hmm. large they are. And coming, like, for us, especially coming from North Carolina, where in our hometown there was one Catholic church in the whole county, mm -hmm. like, you had to, like, you had to drive really far to get to a Catholic yeah, church. Yeah, it was like, if you didn't go to that parish, it was like 45 minutes to the next right. one. Uh, where here, you can literally look at another parish from the steps of Right. One. Yeah, and if we ever have to, like, go to a different mass, we kind of just say, like, all right, who has mass in the next half hour? And like six Sunday show morning, up. Yeah. yeah. If you don't make ten, you can go to ten thirty here. You can go to ten forty five here. Mm -hmm. um, so, and I know a lot of places aren't like that, but in Philadelphia, that's kind of how it is. And it's a, yeah, it's vi it's great. It's a huge blessing, but it also um, it is it does require a lot of infrastructure mm -hmm. and a lot of things for Archbishop Chaput to deal with. Um, he has closed a lot of parishes, which has incited a lot of anger from people though I find that it's very necessary to get the church into this small but um, zealous mm -hmm. place yeah and that's actually what the archbishop recommended <laughs> no so he says no actually I recommend no. it he took that from me mm -mm. just kidding so he says it's going to be smaller poorer less influential and less free to do its work and he says in response Catholics need to be more zealous more faithful and better led um, and that the laity a large part of this falls on the laity and that um, he's he calls for laity to be 
full partners with equal dignity in the church. So it's not just priests doing all these things. The laity kind of need to pick up some of the slack. Um, and he said, and he says, this doesn't just mean being an usher or um, you know serving at mass or being a extraordinary minister of holy communion. Like he says, you you need to be leaders, like mm -hmm. and involved in your parish, not just kind of do the typical like laity tasks. I think too, like you really have to live out your vocation to its fullest. Mm -hmm. Because when you do that, it's, it's, um, it, it is attractive to other people and right. it is inclusive of others. Like our marriage is inclusive of others because we are welcoming others into the love that we share mm -hmm. in community and, um, in like friendships with families and children and things. Right. And to be clear, the Archbishop says we, you know, we always, we need priests as a church and that priests are doing good work and that, you know, you cannot have. A parish or a Catholic community without um, a priest there to administer the sacraments, um, but the lady also needs to like take part of that um, that role in spreading the gospel. Like you can't just have, um, you know, you can't expect everyone to come through the door on Sunday and hear the homily. Like you need to take up your part of the cross, uh, these insensitive evangelization, and go out and just live faithful, Catholic, joyful lives. And I think a lot of the issues with generations before us is poor, poor catechesis, um, which for anyone who doesn't know what that word means, because it took me a while to learn that word. <laughs> She's, maybe if I just ignore it, I won't have to know what that means. <laughs> it means just teaching of church teachings. Mm -hmm. um, there is just poor catechesis, and it, it was because it was within this infrastructure of like religious education or within a parish where things could just get a little bit more boring. But... In our generation, if people start living out their vacation a little bit better and start evangelizing more through personal relationships and through just, like, authentic witnessing to a Christian life, um, I think we'll open up conversations which will be more of a organic and natural and more authentic catechesis in itself. Right. Where I think, like, a lot of issues that come from the church is just poor catechesis, where I think that if people had more conversations about church teaching and, mm -hmm. and such, I think that it would help with people understanding the church's right. teachings. Conversations meaning a conversational way of teaching, not necessarily let's debate all these points. No. And I think, because I think kind of the standard model is like CCD class, like you yeah. go and you learn this and it's kind of like school. So if right. you're like 10, 11 years old, it's just more school for, mm -hmm. you know, an hour on Thursday nights. Um, and I think that that can be effective when you have families at home talking about these things but if that's all you're getting it's just it's just like algebra you mm -hmm. know like oh i gotta learn these things then i get confirmation like it's not really um it's not really shown to be something you live out it's just something else to learn mm -hmm. and kind of commit to memory right and so it just needs to be exemplified through others living out that life and living out the um just the christian life yeah right because you can't really you can't go out and effectively spread the gospel if you're not properly equipped. Mm -hmm. Like, if you don't know what you're talking about, how can you tell someone about it? If you don't live out, you know, the um, commandments of Christ, how can you help others to do that? And if you don't, like, if you don't fully understand who Christ is, like, you probably don't love him to the fullest extent. And so, like, if you don't really love, like, feel this, like, personal love for Christ, then why do you really want to go out and share it? Mm -hmm. where I feel like a lot of people who may not fully understand teachings or 
doctrine or anything. It's because they don't have a personal relationship with Christ. And so um, they're just like, oh, that teaching is hard, so I'm just going to keep it to myself. Right. Versus this is beautiful and wonderful, and I want to share it with people who I love because I, they are worth it. Mm-hmm. They are worthy of more. Right. Yeah. And this is um, not just something that the Archbishop of Philadelphia is talking about. I think this is something a lot of bishops and um, even popes are talking about. Pope Benedict um, frequently spoke of um, a smaller, purer church, and that's kind of what the he anticipated the church being in the future. So this sort of huge institutional, like infrastructure heavy church, like that may not always be there. And what he kind of anticipated was like a smaller church, but one that is more on fire for the gospel. So kind of like not going to maybe have this huge cathedral or this huge diocese with this extensive school system. You might have, um, you know, a smaller group of people, but who really love Jesus and who are really on fire for the gospel, which I think may be more effective. But Definitely. I mean, I'm sure people could debate that. Yeah. And I love what Archbishop Chapu says in like contrast to the people who are so upset about uh, parishes being closed. He says like, okay, if you think that that parish needs to stay open, then start a house church in your area. Like if you absolutely need a separate church within your area versus this other one down the street, then start a house church and prove to me that it is necessary mm-hmm. in starting from small. Um, and I, he actually quoted uh, Pope Benedict in that article from uh, his talk to the whatever council. And he's, uh, Pope Benedict says, the church needs a change of mindset, particularly concerning lay people. They must no longer be viewed as collaborators of the clergy, clergy but truly recognized as co-responsible for the church's being in action, thereby fostering the consolidation of a mature and committed laity. Um, and we've talked about this before, that it's like, you don't just have to, and Daniel said this earlier, you don't have to be on the parish council. You don't have to be a lector. You don't have to be an usher. Um, you are co-responsible with evangelizing uh, your surroundings. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's very easy to just put that on a priest and to say, like, that's your job. Right. Um, and I think that that is where some people, some priests have gotten that pressure and they are worn thin, th- worn thin because right. they try, but they can't do it on their own. Mm-hmm. And so they, you have to have the model of disciple, discipleship and mm-hmm. where um, the parishioners go out and evangelize and share the gospel. Right. And this is something Holly and I have like talked about frequently and kind of um, fretted over a bit. Like, what is it going to look like when our church... Um, doesn't have the buildings, doesn't have the influence, is disregarded, you know, is not free to publicly say certain things. And that is a very, very scary prospect. You know, we obviously it's, we would hope it wouldn't get as bad as it does in some areas where Christians are beheaded or killed. Um, but it would be much different um, for us not to be able to say, hey, yeah, we're Catholic, this is what we think. To not even have the ability to do that is is scary. So Mm -hmm. we've talked a little bit about how, like, that's a pretty, especially, you know, raising children. And um, and Archbishop Shepu talks about how um, it could get to the point where, like, raising your child as a Catholic could be seen as child abuse Mm -hmm. for, you know, not, I don't know, not in teaching them certain... um, philosophies of gender or sexuality like if you're teaching them catholic teaching 
there may be a point where someone's like, oh, that's incorrect. That's act- you know, that's you're hurting your child by not teaching them this other thing. And people also believe sometimes whenever uh, large families have like a young thirteen year old as like the oldest who's taking care of like a baby or something that they're like robbing them of the chi- of their childhood. That's just something I've right. I've I mean, seen. I think that's that's yeah. It's in the same similar vein. It wouldn't right. be legally. It would be like social pressure. Definitely. That's yeah. What, yeah. That's what you're saying. Yeah, and that's I think that's prevalent now. You know, if you if you say I want to have a lot of kids and we think about homeschooling them, people are just like, oh, I didn't know you were such a weirdo. Right. Sorry, I'm gonna go talk to someone else right now. <laughs> you have to like you have to wear long denim skirts. That's true. Which, your... yeah, I don't. I think you should wear more long denim skirts. Oh my gosh, shut up. Just kidding. Holly actually has one long skirt. Oh my gosh. And every time she puts it on, I'm like, oh, are you subbing today? Where Where are you teaching today? It looks like a, a teacher. Like, like a substitute teacher. Oh, that's <laughs> even worse. Oh my gosh, sorry to all the substitute teachers no, out there. That's like in um that movie Hook. Yeah. When um they're trying to get him to be remember he's Peter Pan and they're doing insults back and forth. He's like, substitute chemistry teacher. (laughs) (laughs) Best movie ever. It's a really good movie. Um, But yeah, like what Daniel was saying, we were talking about this topic, and I get really anxious when thinking about the future and what the church is going to look like. And Daniel um, calmed all of my fears by saying, when did Jesus actually say that? When did he say when? What was I it? said, when did Jesus say that the gates of hell prevail against the church? Never! The answer is never. <laughs> yeah. I just, Holly and I just shout at each other until we feel better. <laughs> uh, but no, it but is true. It is, that's something we can rely on. But that doesn't mean it's going to be easy or comfortable. No. My like One of my favorite quotes is um, from Pope Benedict XVI. And he says um, something along the lines of, the world offers you comfort, but you weren't made for comfort, you were made for greatness. Mm, I think that's, that's a good one. That's true, and it's and go on. And Christ tells it tells us all the time in the Gospels, "You are going to be persecuted." Right. This will be hard. The world does not like me. Yeah. And if, the world will not like yeah, you. If people hate you, remember they hated me first. Right. Like, he's pretty clear about it. I know. There's, there's no fine print. He's nope. that's bold and upfront. <laughs> um. And I think a lot of it is especially around us, people kind of get attached to the, to the edifice of the church. And like, I understand that people get upset that their school is closing or their parish where they grew up. And like, closing. there are definitely, um, like my grandmother went to this school. Mm-hmm. She graduated in 1930. Like there is definite heritage and tradition and culture that goes on there, which should not be ignored and should mm-hmm. be remembered. But, um, if the church, if it is costing the church, millions of dollars to keep this open and they literally cannot afford it you're they're in no other position but to close it right and i think we need to remember that in the united states it's a little and i think we should also remember um like 150 200 years ago the church in the united states was not what it is like it was fledgling like in that short time we were able to grow and Mm -hmm. establish um you know a large parochial school system and really like spread across the united states but like that that's only 150, 200 years old. Like, mm-hmm. consider, like, if you look at some of the dioceses over in Europe, like, they're thousands of years old. Crazy. So, like, that these things are changing, it's not, I mean, it's not, it's difficult, but it's not like, it doesn't affect our, the foundation of the faith. Mm-hmm. And parishes, just like anything else, are a tool 
for the church to spread the gospel. Mm -hmm. So if there's a lot of Catholics in an area, they're going to build a parish there. If that's a lively parish, they're going to build that parish up, maybe have a school to educate their children. But if that parish is no longer serving that community, if that tool is no longer effective, then there's no sense for the church to continue to put resources in it. Totally. But again, it is emotional, and there's a lot of sentiment involved mm-hmm. in these kind of things. Sentiment. Sentiment. I was trying to remember sentiment. that word earlier. <laughs> but all this to say that the outward appearance of the church can and will change, mm-hmm. but what doesn't change, what cannot change, is what the church is at its heart, which is a group of people who love Jesus, who want to serve him. Mm-hmm. Like, And like you were saying about, like, um, the archbishop telling him like start a house church like mm-hmm. yeah get catholics together show them like this is we need these tools in this area right and i think that's um kind of leading into like what do we do about this situation yeah like just as... call your friends together <laughs> all right step one <laughs> no but like no. live out live out that your vocation well and mm-hmm. it is attractive like you'd said right and I'll, create oh. relationships mm-hmm. and foster them into uh, authentic representations of discipleship. Mm-hmm. And we were thinking even about what this means, you know, if when the church looks different, how will this affect us as a domestic church, meaning our family being a small unit of the church? How do we, how do we deal with that? Mm-hmm. And I think um, it can be, it causes us to rely a lot more on Jesus, which is not a bad thing. No, it's you know, the if best we, thing. If we're the only people in our neighborhood who aren't teaching our children something that we don't agree with, um, that could be very difficult. But And also for kids who, you know, if you're five or six, you may not understand, like, why your parents say this thing and other people say this thing. Um, so, I mean, I don't really have an... Why are you smirking at me? I just, I'm seeing where you're going and I like it. Well, I don't know where I'm going, so please finish <laughs> it for me. That even though it's, it'll be really difficult in that, um, even if we are the only ones on our block who do certain things or teach certain things, that um, it means that we will be in closer union with Christ. Right. And that that relationship is the most important thing of all. Mm-hmm. And so we can just lean in harder to him at every persecution or every obstacle. We just lean into Christ and he will lean into us and... Um, we all get to experience his beauty in a more unique way. Mm-hmm. It also means like, then it's on us to teach those around us. Did you already say that comfortable quote? Yeah. I like that. that <laughs> <laughs> Bring that back around. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, like, we'll just reiterate. <laughs> we'll have it on a board and we'll just point to it. <laughs> but when life gets easy, it's when we forget that we need Christ. Yeah. And so here we are as a church, and we need Christ. And I think we see that. Mm-hmm. And we need to really tap into that and say, yeah. like, Christ, we need you to come in and to heal our wounds and to um, heal us from the ground up. Because mm-hmm. when you look at the early church, that's how it started, you know. Mm-hmm. The 11, 11 apostles after um, Judas killed himself and Mary and the disciples, like, they were a small group of people and from them the entire church grew mm. and that's um and again we kind of get this big org chart in our mind like mm-hmm. oh you have this uh ecclesiastic- I'm sorry. org chart yeah mr business org chart <laughs> we're gonna start high level but then we'll drill down in a minute 
<laughs> don't no, get things into silos. No, we don't want to silo ourselves off of it. But if we can outreach to the key, to the, if we can outreach to the uh, key stakeholders, I think we can really get some synergy going. Oh my gosh, these are all business buzzwords that Daniel deals I with hate during them. work. Um, but no, if you're looking at an organizational chart, <laughs> you can think like, oh, uh, bishops' conference, ecclesiastical provinces. Oh, this is the suffragan bishop. Like, oh, it's all very well organized, but. That's again. That's kind of a tool for making sure that the gospel is spread mm-hmm. effectively and efficiently. Um, but if you look at what the early church was, it was just an apostle going to Corinth or going to um, Galatia, these places, and establishing churches and saying, "Hey, there's this guy Jesus. He's awesome. Mm-hmm. You should follow him." And celebrating the Eucharist and bringing people together and establishing a community. And now what that looks like is parishes. It's hard, it's hard to like reverse engineer once you get there, mm-hmm. but it's a lot less scary when you realize what the church is, is um, disciples of Christ going out and making more disciples. And it's not that when the church did create these organizational charts or did get so big that there were parishes on every corner or um, whatever, it doesn't mean that that was bad. That was what was necessary for a time that has passed. Mm-hmm. So that was definitely necessary in the 50s when, like, everyone in Philadelphia seemed to be Catholic. Right. Um, And that just, those times are over and they're changed. And we're talking about a very new and very different um, generation. And especially in the United States, like, they were starting the new. Like, the Mm -hmm. church was like, all right, we have, we've had 1,700 years to perfect this. Like, oh, perfect, new land, let's lay it out this way. In Europe, it's way different. Like, all the dioceses and archdioceses. Like, in the United States, it kind of makes sense, like, if you're the seat of ecclesiastical province, you're an archdiocese, you have an archbishop. But in Europe, it's like there could be two towns next to each other and they're both archdioceses. Yeah. It's very different because it just grew up more organically. Like there would be this strong community here. They would need a new bishop and it would grow from there. Whereas mm-hmm. here it was kind of like, it, it still worked in the same way, but it's more planned. Mm-hmm. Um, but all that to say that like these, when these things fall away, it's not the end of the church. Yeah. And in fact, it's almost... Um, it's not unprecedented even, um, either that the church is, um, it started out and continues to be missionary. Mm-hmm. Like, like during mass, we always asked the priest during the, um, Eucharistic prayers says for, uh, your pilgrim church here on earth, like we are a pilgrim people. We are kind of going out. There's no end here on earth for us. Right. We're not going to be like... Like, one billionth diocese, and God's Done. like, you did it! <laughs> it's not like Settlers of Catan, where you get your... Um, is that too nerdy? Yes. I'm sure there's someone out there who plays it. And I'm sure awesome. there are a lot of people, but I can... But you're not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot of nerds out there who play board games, but I ain't one. Hey, I like board games just fine. Just not Settlers of Catan. She do, you do Catan. get frustrated by jigsaw puzzles. Apparently. No, you get mad mad at them. (laughs) I don't remember this. Yeah, too, because you were just being in a bad mood when we were doing puzzles. I'm like, what's the matter? And you're just like, I I can't find the pieces. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I wanted to say something before I got on all that goofiness. What did you say you said? Well, let me move on to my next point, and then maybe I'll come back to you. Maybe. Um, so another great podcast, Catholic Stuff You Should Know, recently did um, an episode called um, Ecclesiology of Communion, where they talked about the role that communion plays in ecclesiology or like kind of like a study or thinking of the church. And their point basically was that 
the church comes from a communion of people. And the hosts on the show were talking about they went to this party where there's all this great group of people who are all bound by their Catholic faith. And that was their communion and their community. And that was just like, for them, like a real image of what the church is. Um, and it's not sort of just random people who are like, oh, I happen to be Catholic, so we're going to go to the same place and on Sundays. Like, it needs to be a community of people who know each other, who love one another well, and whose love for Jesus flows out into their community. Mm-hmm. I didn't remember. Oh. <laughs> that was a very good episode of Catholic Stuff You Should Know. We mm-hmm. recommend it. Yeah, and that... Um, Help me to think about our community we have here and how grateful I am for um, the fact that the friends we have are like we are bound by our love for Jesus, which flows into our love for one another. And we know um, our priests well. We're friends and with our priests, and they're kind of part of this family. And I always think of um, Saint John Paul II. They um, his like group of friends used to call him uncle. And he would, like, for a while, like, keep this annual, like, like skiing trip hmm. where he would go and spend time with his friends. And it was just, like, that's a community. That's what the church is. Hmm. And, again, it doesn't always look that way because we've gone, we've gotten so big that it has to be kind of institutional and bureaucratic in order to meet these needs. Mm-hmm. But what it, at its core, it should be a communion. Right. And uh, Catholic Stuff You Should Know also did a podcast on community. I think it's called community. Maybe. Um, where their focus was that community is not just for, it's not for our benefit, mm-hmm. but it's for the community's benefit. And so, like, you may, it's not all just about being friends. Like, oh, you like this show too, or you like, you know, certain other things. But it's to call each other to holiness and to really challenge each other. And I think that as a church, if we are doing that within all of our parish communities, challenging each other and caring caring for each other so much that we um, can be honest and true in our relationships um, will build a more zealous and more um, beautiful church from the inside. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We just, the lay people need to just step up. Right. And I think, and it's not priests and bishops saying like, oh, you guys do everything. Like when the lady is engaged, you have um, a vibrant and a zealous community and people are better able to discern priestly and religious vocations through that. Mm-hmm. Like if you have, so true. if you have people who, you know, if you're going to church growing up and no one talks to each other at mass, the priest just goes up there and says mass and goes back to the rectory. Like, why would you want to, to join that life? Like right. what incentive, you know, you would meet any like interest in the priesthood. You would immediately dismiss. Cause like, well, I'm going to come out of here, talk for an hour, go back mm-hmm. and like, not like maybe shake hands to the back, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I think, um, the key to renewing the church and filling out all aspects of it will be in part accomplished by a re-energizing of the laity. And like what our priest said today for Corpus Christi, that we we have to actually live as we believe that the Eucharist is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And like what you were just saying, like, why would you want to go to this parish if, blah, you know, you were just saying. <laughs> Thanks. That's a good summary. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I didn't want to reiterate the same thing. <laughs> but um, I was saying in my head, but, well, I mean, you would want to keep going because the Eucharist is there. Right. But you have to fully live as if the Eucharist is there, which means that you have to, like, one, encounter Christ, 
in a really authentic way, but then you have to be called to encounter others. Mm-hmm. You can't keep it to your, you just can't keep it to yourself. Right. And you're like, you'd be surprised if you like some small reverential act at mass, like other people see that and they're like, right. Oh, how come I'm like, why did they genuflect there? Like, why mm-hmm. don't we do that? Should we be doing that? You right. know? And I think, and not in like a weird, like, Oh, they're so much holier than yeah, I am. I usually, what I do is I lay prostrate in the aisle for 15 <laughs> minutes before mass and then they say, Daniel, we need to we need to have masks and move. <laughs> no, but it is um, that is a good point to make. What you were saying, that right? Yeah, there, yeah, you inst- you can only show, you can only spread love for something by showing your love for that thing, mm-hmm. right? So I can, um, you know, if I talk about how great you are and how much I love you and like express my love for you and that's visible for others that's the only way for them to really know like oh that's what spousal love is like Mm -hmm. oh that's what their relationship is like Mm -hmm. so if you're like kind of like lukewarm or cold with jesus like why how is anyone going to know how to love jesus Mm -hmm. you know and that's not just outward that's just like your prayer life your Mm -hmm. um devotional life those kinds of things they people see them and they take note right so, um, all of my anxiety about this whole problem within the church can just be, uh, solved all just with Jesus Christ. Oh, imagine that. <laughs> I mean, I should have known. Um, one more thing I want to oh, talk sorry. about. It's okay. Tried to close it out. I know you did. Go on. Okay. <laughs> may, we re- may we reopen it? Yes. Opened. Oh my god. That gosh. was the door. Holly slammed it shut. <laughs> you guys what you guys you know what i have to do <laughs> you know what i have to deal with here um but um the church was founded to be relational because god is relational like we just it was just trinity sunday and like that's sort of a mystery but one thing that's kind of um plain about it is that there's a relationship of persons in god yes. and that he is constantly relational he's giving love, receiving love, sending out love out, and just sort of like an outpouring relational cycle of love. And so it's no surprise that his church is designed by him to be that way, to be a relational experience, like of pouring out love, love for Christ, love for those around us. Um, and that's how it spreads. That's how it grows. And it's kind of, it's not... It's, you shouldn't be, like, fake about it. Be like, oh, I love you. You're so great. You need to, like, actually love that person. And how you do that is by learning to love Jesus more. Like, your love for Christ will spill over into your relationships with other people. Because you will see him in other people. Right. And it has to be an authentic love. Because people know when people are being fake. So it has to be an authentic love. And in order to gain that authentic love, you need to um, go to the fount of all love, which is Christ. Yeah. Yeah. So don't. The church may look different in the future, but it's, um, it's gonna be okay. It's <laughs> all gonna. Everything's gonna be okay. Yes, but I hope that um, as millennials, mm-hmm. that we can, um, like I think that Archbishop Chapu is true in what he was saying, but I hope that we can kind of rise up past it and say like, and make it a little bit better. Like right. And it's you know, not, yeah. actually tithe, actually commit that money, mm-hmm. make that a, a higher priority than getting sushi or like mm-hmm. something, you know, uh, 
make some sacrifices so that your church can have money. Right. Because they don't have a lot. Yeah. And just, like, you should never feel like you have to live up to some sort of label or stereotype. And that's true in anything, but, like, you don't have to be a millennial. So, like, oh, well, I really don't need to buy a house. Or, I mean, buying a house is a bad example. Like, oh, I really don't need to settle down and find one place. I should go live in a loft. You know, like, you should just do... Why are you giving me looks again? (laughs) Going with this. We don't need to be millennials. We can right. be who we are. Yes. We don't need to follow some specific path. You don't need yes. to say, oh, I'm a millennial. I do this. You need to do the truly hipster thing and be like, not. No, don't be a hipster because that <laughs> means you, you try to be cool by copying everyone else. No. What the. They think that they're not being the label. Right, but they are. But they think that they're not. I know. I'm telling them to, to actually, actually do it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh. I know. I feel like half the time I say something, you try I to disprove it. it. Yeah, I know. No. Anyway, all that to say, don't, like, just love Jesus and live out that love in the way God has asked you to do it. Don't feel like you need to fit into any kind of mold. And don't only think about the present. Right. Because I think a lot of times we like to only think about, like, right now in the church, this is what we are dealing with right now. But our culture and our um, contributions really do have an impact for like a long time after we are here. So we, I would like to try to help our generation create a better church mm-hmm. by giving and living a more authentic life with Christ at the center right? in a more zealous church like Archbishop Shapu wants. That's true. And one of the most annoying things as like a millennial, I really don't like that. I know. That you phrase. hate terms. I hate terms. Um, <laughs> Is that a lot of people, older people, will kind of just, like, have their mind made up about you. Mm. And they'll be like, oh, kids these days do this, this, and this. And you'll be like, actually, we think this way. And they're like, oh, yeah, but kids these days, they do this. And there's just, like, a lot. What? I remember the, I remember hearing somebody yeah, say that. Yeah, they say like, that. really right. frustrating. Yeah. yeah. So um, don't discount yourselves if you're yeah. a young person. Um, I remember at... It may have been confirmation or something, but someone was talking to a group of younger Catholics saying, like, um, people always say, like, you are the future of our church. But he's like, but that's not true. You're our church now. You're Mm -hmm. a Catholic. Mm -hmm. You don't need to kind of um, defer to what's kind of being imposed upon you. Mm -hmm. So they're like, oh, young people these days always on their iPads and their iPods (laughs) and their iWhats. It's like, no, maybe, you know. Maybe we like to go to adoration in the adoration chapel and unplug and just spend time there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I have no idea how we got to that point, but we got there. We got there. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So that's it. <laughs> that's it. We fixed it. We fixed it. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> we got to our billionth. Yes. <laughs> uh, no. But yeah. So it's all on you. Us. Us. As a church, because we are a universal church. We are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Um, before we wrap up, I wanted to do to give a quick shout out to my best friend, the Rhino. Yeah. Which is um, a great podcast I just started listening to. Um, we just started listening to. Which, I know I've listened to more episodes than you though. I'm, I don't go on runs. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for being honest about that. But he gets to listen to more episodes because he goes on runs. Or I listen to it like on a like walking to the train or so. anyway. Um, but it's a great podcast. They um, try to lay out 
teachings of the church to a non-Catholic mm-hmm. audience. To, and kind of, like, uh, misunderstandings of the church, yeah, especially. especially. misunderstandings. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you're not Catholic and you're listening to this, like, check them out. They have, you know, it's organized by subject. If there's something you've kind of struggled with or not really understood, listen to that episode. Um, they're really great. It's a married guy and a seminarian, so there's kind of a cool dual perspective on that. Because mm-hmm. um, I know especially we kind of talk about Catholic teaching and doctrine is kind of um, a given and don't really go into it. So if you're mm-hmm. curious about that, that's a really great resource to have. And they're funny, and they're from Pennsylvania. Hey. So another PA podcast. Nice. Yeah. But so go check them out. My, my best, best friend, friend, the Rhino. rhino. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Because you won't want to listen to us anymore. Right. Um, but. But thank you for listening <laughs> for some for reason. Thanks for sticking through. Um, but yeah, if you have any feedback, questions, corrections, mm-hmm. we're, we're probably overdue for some of those. We haven't gotten Definitely. any in a while. Um, but topics for future shows, or just want to let us know you're out there. Um, like we, we say this all the time, we really want this to be a community and a communal thing. Um, we would like to know who's out there listening. So if you have time, send us an email. You can email us at halfwaysaintspodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at halfway underscore saints. Like us on Facebook, rate us on iTunes. Um, That's whatever. it. Whatever. Carrier pigeon. Oh my gosh. I don't know. When I thought carrier pigeon in my mind, I envisioned someone throwing a pigeon like a dog. Oh. I don't know why. <laughs> I imagine Hed- Hedwig. Hedwig? He's an owl. Hedwig? And he's dead. Daniel. <laughs> what? Oh that my gosh. How long did. I don't think there's any one. There's. Okay. We apologize. Hey, sorry. <laughs> Hedwig may or may not. No, don't say anything. <laughs> Maybe they missed be it. Be an owl. There you go. He may or may not be an owl. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, guys. boy. Okay. Um, um, have a great week, everybody. Bye, everyone. Bye.